Hey weirdos, I'm Hannah Sainty and welcome to the Your Weird Podcast, the place that talks to creatives, artists and people living their best lives about how they do what they do, why they do what they do and how being a bit weird is a superpower. If robots are taking all our jobs, we better figure out how to harness the one thing that they can't do, be creative. Enjoy the show. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Your Weird Podcast. Uh, this episode today is a bit of a deep dive. So I have a friend of mine named Xavier Susai. He is a stand-up comedian and a room runner over in Perth, Western Australia. And he wanted to jump on the podcast because we wanted to just talk about comedy and the craft of comedy itself as well as, you know, this wasn't intentional, but we ended up talking about finance and the concept of wealth as well, which is something that I think is really important to think about and to talk about as a creative. Because I know that I found this when I was teaching yoga and when I was in those fields that when you're doing something of service, you can often feel like, oh, you know, I just want to give this to people. I want to do it for free or I'm not good enough. I want to do it for free. But the point is, is like, you have to start to understand money and the exchange of money to create wealth so that you can do more and then in turn give more. So I was really excited that we went down this avenue in this chat because I honestly hadn't thought about doing a podcast episode about it. So if you are interested, I will uh, get someone on and we can discuss this factor a little bit more in more detail, maybe with an expert who can help me make some money too. Um, But it was a really, really great chat. So we talk about uh, all things to do with comedy. And obviously, like I like to tie it back to other crafts because I want, regardless if you're in comedy, if you're in visual art, if you're in writing, if you're in other styles of performing, all of these uh, mediums do have similarities, maybe in a different physical context, but the intention, the process, all these things, they're very, very, very similar and especially the resistances. So, of course... This episode is definitely one where we get we get a bit uh, we get a bit deep we get a bit uh, philosophical and we also get a little bit funny because it's just two comedians talking. So, um, without further ado, enjoy this episode and let me know what you think. If you do want to hear more about like finance and wealth in the creative realm, and I promise I will keep it as interesting as possible and not dry because I also can't listen to dry stuff. You know, it's like like reading documents that, are, you know, for legal people or like the fine print on insurance forms. I know that's done on purpose, but every time I try and read it, it, it's the same sound as white noise. You know, when you're reading in your head and you should hear the words, I just hear white noise. I don't know if that's the same with you, but that's why if you are interested and you don't understand anything about money, maybe I'll get someone on and we will discuss how to do it and how to make it interesting. Ugh. Okay. Anyway. Enjoy the episode. This is myself chatting with Xavier Susai. Enjoy the episode. Remember to say weird because being normal is really boring. So can we talk about last night's gig? Oh, dude. <laughs> Let's talk about last night's gig. Oh, my God. Wow. Right. A venue that we won't say the name of, but we're at a venue. Oh, no, we're going to say the name because that <laughs> happened and it has no notoriety for it. So it's a one-off. And I feel like it's a great community room. Windmill Comedy Club, 15 bucks. But BYO. <laughs> BYO venue. BYO venue, which is great for the current recession. Um, and people kind of go, oh, okay, this is really nice. It's cost effective. Great Friday night. See some open mic. Most of it is good. Some of it is terrible. And that's also fun to that's watch. That's also fun to watch. <laughs> so I went to a gig before and then showed up. And apparently this guy was gone. 
off the whole time. He was, yeah. He okay. just kept having having pops and piping up all the time. Yeah. <laughs> so, and it was just uh, that dumb heckler that doesn't have anything contributive to say. I yeah, assume. nothing. Yep. Yeah. And then when I got up, uh, I mentioned something about Mark McGowan or whatever, and I think he just, it was a word that triggered him. And then I was like, okay, whatever. I carried on with my set, did okay. Then the next guy was okay. Then the last guy, Tim, yeah. was on. And that's like the last five minutes of the show. Yeah. And literally just eight minutes. Tim had eight minutes and that's all we had to go. And he spent all of that time interacting with the heckler. And then that guy just, within a minute, it really escalated didn't it? Because you, you're inside. Yeah, I was, I was watching the whole thing. Right. He, it was, es- he was escalating over the whole night, and he just wouldn't shut up. So Tim was like literally just trying to put him, just put him out, put out the fire because it hadn't worked before. And then because the crowd were like, yeah, like finally someone's having like a real big go at him. Then you know sometimes I can go either way, doesn't it? Like this guy, he got more intense. He's like, no, he was basically saying, don't cancel me. He said to Kim, he said to Tim, "You're heckling me," and Tim's like, "I'm holding the microphone. <laughs> You're the heckler, dude." <laughs> Tim Tim's great in that situation because he's not a um, aggressive person; he's very passive. Yeah, absolutely. And it works quite well in his favor because something chaotic happens, and he's the guy that just goes, "Hmm, what's happening here?" Like, yeah, it was funny. <laughs> like, I mean, it eventuated in something that you know really isn't funny, but it was funny to watch the whole lead up. And um, then following that, like within a minute, um, what happened? He got up. He started to get aggressive with everyone. No, he wanted to come on stage to tell a joke. Right. So he okay. was trying to walk through the chairs that are all very close together and started stumbling and then he knocked everything over. So that when people stood up to try and push him back, then he got angry and it was just this like collision of annoyance of everyone trying to enjoy their show in their own way. And his way was the wrong way. <laughs> oh, wow. So that's like proper Jerry Springer shit. It was pro- yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. So because uh, it was a bit confusing because Nick, uh, who runs the show, he got hit in the head. Um, he, he literally got a concussion. I'm pretty Jesus. sure he did because he was saying the most random things to me. Was he? Um, yeah, I was like, hey, Nick, man, you better sit down. He goes, okay, I'll get you a polo shirt tomorrow. I was like, what are you talking <laughs> oh, about? Oh, my God. Oh, no. <laughs> and, like, and you know Nick, he's kind of on the old side. So yeah, he's yeah. a lovely dude, but like this was just extra, like it added 10 years to his life. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> so I don't know because um, I told him to call the cops and he was yeah. like, oh, just is he still outside and stuff. That guy was actually, because um, they left, but they were at the pub. Um, after when we were all there. Yeah, I know. I Like, obviously you guys were outside, we were inside, yeah. but then his brother came in and like comes up to me. He's like, I really loved your comedy. And I'm like, thanks, dude. I'm like, who's this guy? And then it was right. his brother. And I was yeah. like, ah. And then the security guard came and kicked him out. And I was yeah. like, you just... Stop menacing. <laughs> just why like, do you have to go out and get kicked out? Things, you know. Yeah, just go out and have a nice time. You know, I was talking to Tyrone. He's like, if you're an angry or annoying drunk, just stop drinking. You 100%. can also be fun without it. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, have two <clears throat> cups of coffee. You're still gonna you, have the same vibe. Do you, are you ever around too many alcoholics? I suppose in comedy because you're fairly newish to comedy, but I've, you know, have, there's a history of alcoholism. There is definitely, sure. yeah, yeah. Yeah. But I always found that, like, it just brings out the real personality out of people, unfortunately. Yeah, sometimes the real – or I always think of it as more as, like, the shadow the part demon, of yeah. – yeah. It's not so much wh- who the person is. It's just whatever is laying dormant or being squashed. 
as okay. opposed to the person. That's what I generally think of yeah, it. Sure, yeah, sure. You know, because yeah. it's like a lot of the time, like, the people who, like, if they are alcoholics, they go, if you go and get therapy and start, they're dealing with the demons that are causing them to drink to numb it, yep. which then perpetuates it. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's just uh, there is a level of gross insecurity amongst men who watch comedy shows. Mm. Um, I find that, like, guys like that, they tend to behave this way in um, seated down because they're seeing a guy get all the attention. And Interesting. they're looking at comedy from a very different lens than comedians <laughs> doing comedy. Like, we're there to do some jokes. Yeah, we're like, entertain you. Do you like yeah, this one? What about I this mean, one? <clears throat> I literally wrote my stuff on a notepad and I'm like, all right, I'm just going to go through bang, 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 do my four minutes, good, right? Yeah. And I know what works, what doesn't, and that's what I'm using it for. And there's guys who are literally watching that going, oh, he has commanding attention of people, which I yearn for. People need to be drawn to me in some way. They like the adulation, whereas I don't, I don't care for it. You don't care for it. We, we need to make sure that people like our work, yeah. respect it, and buy tickets. Yeah, exactly. Buy the ticket. <laughs> buy the ticket. Follow support. my Instagram account. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's mainly about having um, people that uh, – a base of people that respect your work and like it and want to keep on yeah. helping you out as an artist to keep going, right? So we're looking at it purely from that lens – we're not doing it to be loved by <laughs> by people. I mean, speak for yourself. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> but getting getting attention is. Uh, I, I'm very introvert. I yeah. think a lot of most comics are surprising, yeah. and um, it feels like we don't particularly like the fame or the attention. Mm. We just want to get to a gig that's full of people. Yeah, and so then tell the jokes, gigs. and then go back into a little hidey hole. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So I think um, that you do get guys who get drunk and they're in the audience and they don't have the stones to attempt doing open mic or just getting into it to get some perspective about what it's actually about. Yeah. So they tend to be on the wayside and kind of comment. And that's why the heckling comes into place is because they feel they, they're kind of hidden away and not exposed to anything. Yeah. And then when suddenly they get the resistance from people around them, it just goes pear-shaped. And it's quite fascinating to watch that. It's really only in comedy that we see it. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, it's yeah. true. It does, yeah. It sort of seems to inflate it a little bit more. Yeah. Because, yeah. I mean, I mean, half the time people think that. I mean, if you don't know comedy, you think that someone is just naturally funny. You're like, how do you get up there and just start That's saying true. that? You're so witty. Oh, you're so well-timed. You're like, nah, bro. Like, <laughs> by the time you're seeing it, I've done this like 400 <laughs> times. I've hit my head against the wall. I wrote the idea done four years ago. Like, that's the vibe. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I was in the toilet with the yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. But um, a lot of that, being funny is a thing that is like kind of sought after, especially amongst mm. guys. Um, there's this need to... Kind of, if you're not funny, you're not sort of seen or given the attention, especially at a pub or in a group setting. Yeah. Because we don't, as in a guy group, we don't want to be that serious. We kind of muck around and we sort of say stuff. Um, I can't really speak from a, a ladies' lunch kind of thing. Like, That's okay. Really I'll know. do that side of it. Exactly. Yeah. I don't really fucking know. So I'm yeah. just like, whatever. <laughs> I'm going to just speak with my own knowledge of this, right? <laughs> but I see that guy hecklers, um, particularly when they get to watching – um, like a guy make people laugh in the group setting immediately triggers their pub self. Like they're like, oh, yeah, damn, I want this. And so instead of enjoying the show, it's them thinking about themselves a lot and mm, how yeah. they're un incapable of doing it. 
Whereas most people kind of go there to be entertained. Like that's the purpose of going to the comedy show. Oh, hell yeah. My, my cousin was there and watching. He was so annoyed. He's just like, <laughs> why the hecklers come? Shut up. We're there to watch a show. You don't know what you're doing. He's like, I want to laugh. And now I'm angry. Now I can't focus on my laughing. You've made me so angry. <laughs> yeah. And, and so um, that actually leads to some sort of revelations that I've had doing like grassroots now mm-hmm. um, around live shows and the nature of comedy. So um, what's clearly um, happened is the, the length of sets has dropped off because of the way everybody's attention span is not great. Yeah, So yeah. what's working, um, like what we're doing a lot more is big showcases, just to also to cover the number of comics that there are in Perth now. Yeah. Um, but it also helps people in the audience to go, oh, yeah, cool, this is good, like, I see a big variety, I see 12 different acts, and those shows tend to do better now than the single solo shows Mm. Um, of relatively unknown acts. So unless they really know you, then it doesn't really, they're not that invested in wanting to sit down and and actually watch you for an hour. Um, So the unknown acts, they'll tend to struggle for those longer sets because people are kind of just like, yeah, I'm just got my phone. Mm. When I started, headliners were about 45 minutes. Yeah. Headliners are now like 25. And that's 15 years of social media programming and it's made people kind of, have short attention spans. Mm-hmm. But because of our short attention spans of people going, okay, I'm scrolling all the time, um, our inactivity or our consumption of information online um, is most of our day. So <clears throat> when we go to a show, we actually want to be involved. Yeah. And so I that think that's sense. where <clears throat> things are definitely changing a fair bit in our dynamic um, because if we're not seeing continuous variation or differences and things we then get bored very easily um, and to where we try to mitigate um, our ADHD that we've built basically <laughs> yeah um, we need to be involved in doing something it needs to be yeah. tactile or something that we're actually doing so we don't feel distracted basically that's that makes a lot of sense yeah that's really good insight it's yeah it's, it's a strange one as well because I think that it's almost like twofold it's like either they've had so much of that screen time and that um, <coughs> sort of internal, internal, external experience with their internalized thoughts, but yeah. from, like taking the inspiration from an external source. But then on the other side of that is like the audiences who don't laugh, but are having the best time ever. And I swear to God, there is like this, this strange phenomenon happening. Cause I noticed this in myself once it was ages ago, I was watching a TV show and it was a comedy mm-hmm. and I found something really funny. And then I noticed for some reason, I just became really hyper aware of sound and I, I didn't make a sound. Okay. But the TV had the laugh track. So to me, I laughed. Right. So you cued to it, basically. Yeah, but I didn't know sound came out. You know what I mean? And then when you watch people, and then because I've noticed, you know, when I'm with family or whatever, I'll just kind of like notice because I'm like, well, I notice in, my, in myself, like, <coughs> is, is it happening with other people? Mm-hmm. And then it, obviously not for everyone and not unless like if there's something like ridiculously outrageous, you might laugh out loud. Yep. But for the most part, if you're finding something funny, you'll just be like, and you smile because the laugh track's doing the work for you. And I'm like, I swear to God that happens at shows sometimes. Because I'm like, you know, you come off and you're like, oh God. And then people are like, oh, that was amazing. And you're like, you did nothing with your vocal cords. That's fringe. (laughs) Every fringe crowd is like that. They're kind of, they're theater-esque. So they watch a play that necessarily is a type of person that wants to sit down and consume the information without providing any feedback. Um, but then they thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, mm. I, there was one girl at one of my shows, and I did that one hour of uh, Slumdog and the Millionaires. Yep. And 
she was not laughing at all the entire time and came up to me and said, oh, that's the best show I saw on Fringe. And I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were hating me. You were going to kill me really in the car park. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, no, it was really good, man. I'll, I'll come next year. I was like, what the, no. <laughs> <laughs> well, in that time, can you learn how to be, like, laugh? No, because um, we uh, – have you ever have you ever done that weird thing where you've just been a bit more cognizant of yourself in a room and you're looking at the like stuff on your phone? Yeah, and I you're just tend, yeah. basically yeah. going. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that's it. Like it's weird when you go to a show and it's tribal, right? Because yeah. we're all in a group and you laugh, I laugh. Dates are interesting because it'll be like looking at each other and oh, it's okay. Exactly, it's a good yeah. kind of yardstick to how you're gel anyway like in terms of which absolutely you could have the same sense of humor yeah yeah yeah, Yeah. exactly um and so comedy for dating is a great kind of relationship always has happened all the time but in the same way in group settings people come in and they group together and they're like yeah we're in this as a posse and we got comedy posses it's so funny because they're just it's good one group that's losing their shit yeah and everyone else is just what's going on and they're not really feeling involved so i think that's where we're we as comics have to learn the tactics of uh, divide and conquer, but also to be able to conquer all. Like it's kind of a thing where you, yeah. you single out people, you get groups. Like we, that's where the essence of the good crowd work or the good connection between groups works really well. Yeah. Like have you found that when you perform and you see like a group that's a little bit quieter, I always like to look straight at them and start getting them more involved by del- telling the jokes to them. Yeah, definitely. And then what happens is they start to, to go, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, he's paying attention to us. And that brings them up again because you can then move back and forth to the, the different pockets. But you got to do that without being able to see the crowd because the spotlight's so bright. Yeah, exactly. Sometimes you can't you cannot, can't see anyone past the front row, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So it's kind of uh, – and that's the unique skill of stand-up that a lot of people don't realise is you're actually picking up a lot of – like uh, learning the magic of looking like you know where the audience are and you can see them, yeah. but you can't see shit. So it's, it's, it's actually a really interesting, it's important skill um, for like comics to learn over time. Yeah, it's so true. they don't realize they're actually learning that when they do it. It's, yeah. I'm like, it de- depending on where I am, like, uh, for example, like your new room, Leaderville, mm. it's quite a tall stage. Yeah. And so, like, my first time on, I, like, I was, like, standing in there and I was kind of noticing where everyone's eyeline was because I was like, I don't think I'm going to be able to see. So I was, like, trying to check out what, like, the ratio would be. Okay. So then when yeah, I stood yeah. up there, I did what I would normally do. I was like, oh, yeah, no, the stage is actually taller. you got to remember that. And then I just lowered everything <laughs> intentionally. I was like, I'm going to assume there's a person there and there. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's an interesting one um, about that tall stage because I'm looking at trying to do something. If I had um, the budget, I would actually just go and get better chairs to the room. Oh, like higher. higher ones because yeah. I did that with the experimental. Um, so oh, grassroots, yeah. they, they literally only had like simple chairs, but I put about 5000 bucks and bought all those bar chairs and tables no and stuff so that I had the right setup for um, making sure that it's in eye line of the stage because that stage was too high. When we, it is um, tall, yeah. <clears throat> yeah. So when I first opened it, we had like three rows of those white small seats and we just had um, like maybe bar chairs in the back. So I was like, oh, this this sucks. And it finally when all the order came in and we changed it the second week, it just really made a big difference. Yeah. Um, like 70% of a good comedy show is actually to do with the venue <gasps> set up. Tell me about it. Right? Yeah. And, and so in the end, that's why corporate gigs are always like pretty much a dumpster fire. Yep. Because yep. 
you go there and nothing's prepared, no intro, no process, no concentration. Terrible lighting. You're, yep. you're paying, you're, you're basically, as an audience member, you're paying for a setting and an experience, right? Yep, definitely. And most of that experience is the um, to be able to just sit down and concentrate. And so that's the purpose of the venue runner is to make sure that how do we mitigate all the noise to make people concentrate. Um, and I think that's the biggest commodity that we're now starting to see. It's an emerging commodity in society yeah. is attention mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. Um, improving on people's attention. So if I can have half an hour of your time, you'll pay for it if you're going to feel good about it. And that's definitely a big thing that people are seeking now. Solidarity and like disengagement's another kind of thing, but I think attention is the ultimate Absolutely. And, th- and there's a lot of layers to it because obviously um, you need to be interesting and worthy of attention yep. as a performer. But then it's like you said, like if, if the parameters of which you're performing don't match the theme, like it's like trying to go to the cinema, mm. but you're watching it on a screen in Aldi. Like it doesn't, it doesn't work, you know, like you can't <laughs> do that. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, yeah, but in, I feel like um, when there's nothing sort of, really great when you have good acts and everything just fits into shape a good room good acts good ambience good crowd yeah that's like the ultimate kind of like everyone walking away like we're all a tribe and we just succeeded together oh hell yeah it's It's such a good feeling that's that's one of the things that's like i love comedy for that yeah yeah that's my quest all the time whenever um i have a show um, and I get to that point. What, what's really nice is now that I've run rooms, I get to control all of those things because I yes. know exactly the things that didn't work and I know the things that do work and I've merged it together. Absolutely. Um, so, yeah, it's just been infinitely good because of that. Definitely. And I mean, I, I mean, like just to give some clarification for the listeners who don't do comedy as well, like I was going to give an example of um, when that – isn't set up appropriately and I'm sure you have a story about this as well but I remember I remember doing a show uh, I think it was like last year the year before and um, it was in a restaurant with the lights turned up people were eating I was standing directly in front of the one speaker that we had in the corner of a room next to the door and from that door the waiter had to walk past you the entire time like and so close that they were almost like skimming the back of the microphone just to deliver food and after the obviously after the first comic calling it out then it just becomes really boring you can't Mm. do the content anymore Mm. and it was just the worst environment i've ever been for comedy jeez you know know why it's because people think we're the same as a soloist guitar gig yeah that's all it is they go oh yeah we just hire barry the trumpet guy and he just sits <laughs> there and he just plays the fucking cello or whatever all day and then like you know people just kind of don't have to tune in but it's there it's a bit of noise yep and the biggest thing is a lot of venues don't have any fucking idea about comedy and then they want to do it yep um and uh, it's mostly restaurateur dudes who had aspirations of trying comedy yeah they hit me up wanting to do things and have little to no understanding of it but the idea that oh i get to reinvigorate my love of stand-up comedy and and wanting to do that that literally seems to be about 75 percent that's handy it's bad like i had a had a pizza shop Uh, guy (laughs) called me up and he's like oh is what would be um, good is if like whilst they're waiting we can do like comedy and guys just come in and out what i know 
No. The takeaway pizza shop. No. Oh, no. Right? And yeah, that's it was, And then he was just like, oh, you know, um, maybe like some of the boys and, um, can can do spots as well because we love comedy and stuff. And that, that's really what it is. It's like, oh, okay, he, this guy just wants to do it, but he's stuck in running a pizza shop. And yeah, <laughs> do you take one night off and go do some comedy? You just, yeah, yeah, get you feel yeah. that way. And, and it's actually funny um, seeing people have kind of taken a different direction and then like later on just wanting to get into comedy. Yeah. Um, they, I mad respect for it because I love the fact that comedy has no retirement age ever. Oh, we, definitely. We're, we're going to do this till we die. Absolutely. Like, so yeah. Um, so it's one of those unique things where because there is no has-been age um, in terms of like where you are, it, you can just evolve with your age and your experiences and your comedy will just follow suit and you'll attract a different crowd and a different style and all that sort of stuff just keeps going. It's so flexible. Um, whereas sports, you've got rules and you're screwed. Yeah, so. well, and also you don't have any autonomy with those sorts of things. Like with comedy, if you want to do it, that's why I fell in love with it even more. It was like, you know, having come from like acting and film or I was like I constantly needed other people to make stuff or I had to have yes. permission and be chosen. Sure. Whereas I was like, oh, I'm making this thing and I can do it right now. Yep. All I got to do is like, okay, cool. There's an open mic. I'll just go sign up. Or like there's a gig coming <clears> up. <throat> Great. I'm booked. Cool. I've got, I'm ready, you well, know? And, and that's, a, that's a double-edged sword, right? Because the uniqueness of comedy is yeah, there's no prerequisites. But – there, because there's no prerequisites, there's too many people wanting to do it that probably shouldn't uh, <laughs> in terms of just getting in there. But I find comedy a fascinating thing compared to music or anything because um, the, the challenge of stand-up is, um, I've been saying this for a while now because it's something I just like clicked with me. Is think about yourself as like you don't have any instruments, right? You're just mm -hmm. getting up there. So you are the instrument. Yep. You don't have any idea how to use the instrument, <laughs> then you also have to compose music with it. That's comedy because you're literally finding yourself, then working out how to use it and then actually creating content with it, right? Unlike music where there's like a structure, here's how you do a guitar, here's how you learn how to do it, these are some notes, copy that, play this, rinse and repeat and do that. Yeah. And so there's prerequisites. Like you can't go to a guitar gig without knowing how to play a guitar. Uh, That's you, it, and, yeah. And you might have a level of proficiency different to the other person, but there's still a, an acceptable bare minimum. And unfortunately in comedy, it's so open-ended, there isn't, right? And mm -hmm. so um, that's what makes it great because it's the flexibility and freedom, but it makes it terrible because there's just a saturation of people that haven't really understood what it's going to take and how to do it. Definitely. Um, so, yeah, that's that's the thing that fascinates me the most about this. It's like I'm the same. I'm like I have absolute control over what I can do in, in comedy versus any other framework. There's no gatekeepers. That's it. Yeah. And it's amazing. And, I mean, like just, just to add to what you said as well, like the – like you don't have to have prerequisites, but also once you start doing it, the problem is, is that even if you're bad and you do want to get better at it, you're taking it seriously, mm. you have to practice in front of complete strangers all the time in order to get better. Like yep. if you want to practice guitar, you can just do it at home in, in your room and figure it out until you become Jimi Hendrix and you're fine. Yep. But like you can't become Jimi Hendrix until you've been bombing in front of everyone for however long it takes right. for you to figure it out. And what's so bad is um, you're surrounded by people that have the same goals and struggles as you. Yeah. 
and you're largely performing to them in some open mic rooms. Where there's oh, no hell there. yeah, yeah. Um, and so you go to Melbourne and there's just so many rooms where it's just virtually empty or like 15 people will show up and people are like, yeah, that was a great night. Oh, hey, that's what I, it's my bread and butter. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but like you, you come to Perth and like literally there are rooms where it's full. Like, egg, egg, yeah. Yeah, I mean totally. my room, last night's room, it's all, people come uh, because there's the right number of rooms. If there's more rooms, then you're going to expect those rooms to have less people and um, that's going to be largely comics. So yeah. you have to kind of find a, a really nice balance in am I doing gigs just to nobody um, and do I need that stage time? Because some of these things aren't really worth doing. Like you're better off going home and writing. And Definitely, preparing. yeah. Um, and also, do you find this as well? That like, Because I know you, you, you come to a show and you're prepared. Always, yeah. There's quite a lot of comics that just don't. They wing it or they don't understand the need to get up to a certain point. Yeah. I, in my mind, um, for the most part, whenever I perform optimally, um, when I say that, this is kind of me in the way I know I would be doing things at best because um, I don't necessarily do this, but I know what's right is I would have prepared my set. I would have had figured it out for ages during that week. Mm-hmm gone through this stuff in my mind, in my car, as many times as possible simulated in my head, then when I've got up to perform on stage, it's 80% complete. But I'm fully prepared so that the final 20% can be completed at that night. That's usually the the right kind of mechanism that I do. It doesn't necessarily happen all the time, but I kind of know that's usually the way things I apply. Yeah, I just know that. I can see it when, I, when I'm watching people and they just don't prepare at all. And they go, oh, I'm just winging it. But that should be just, you know, that's the thing. You go, well, why waste time when the wait list on gigs is so long as well? Like, Yeah. I mean, it's a funny one as well because I, I think that, I mean, it doesn't – I mean, it's funny because it's like one thing with acting that – a lot of people subscribe to and I've, mm. I've always been one of them is like every opportunity is a show. Okay. So if you if you're doing an audition to get into a show, treat it like it is the show and getting that audition nice. and achieving that you have won. I like that. Yeah, and there's because <clears> there's like there's so many layers of rejection in all art forms and comedy's one of them. If you bomb, that's a rejection, yep. right? And then not only you've rejected by the crowd, but you're going to be rejected inside yourself because you're like, "Ah, I didn't I didn't do it, you know. I didn't do it right. I didn't ABC for whatever reason yep. it didn't work." And so I always treat it as though I'm like, it doesn't matter if I'm doing like the shittiest open mic in the whole world. I will treat it as though I'm performing at the Apollo because I'm like, you get it. And, you know, there's like a sense of professionalism. I try and bring like, you know, if I'm feeling a little bit under the weather, I'm like, if I was, if this was my job, I don't get to just not go because I'm feeling a bit under the weather. So I'm like, okay, what would I bring to it? And then I bring it. But then by the same token, it's like, it's when you're trying to find, this is where I am in my comedy career. Um, is like when you're trying to tweak specific elements of that craft. Mm-hmm. So obviously with comedy, there's a lot of different layers. You've got to learn how to write. You've got to learn how to write well. You've got to do premises and punchlines. They're two, you know, mm-hmm. obviously they need each other, but you've got to do both of them well. You've got to find your performance self. You've got to find... Yeah, literally, like, literally, you're the instrument, you're learning it, you're trying to figure it out. Literally everything, yeah. yeah. And so, and the funny thing is, is because sometimes those gigs when there's no one there, it depends on the person. Like if you're not used to being on a stage, you should go do the gig because you've got to learn how to be uncomfortable on a stage. Sure. Yep. Um, and whereas like yourself and myself, like we've both had lots of experiences on stages, not me with comedy as much as you, but with other things. So I'm like, I'm mm. comfortable on a stage. I don't mm. need to go and perform to no one because it doesn't give me anything. Yep. 
But then with the other side of it, like the wing it, and I don't wing it ever, but there's an element of like spontaneity space that I try and leave because for me, I'm trying to figure out how to do crowd work. Yeah, sure. And I'm trying to like let the wit come through. Mm. But then even that, it's like if, if you're showing up to – just wing it. I'm like, well, no, you still got to wing it within a parameter. Like you got to herd, herd Absolutely. it into a little space. <laughs> Crowd work's an illusion, right? Yeah. Um, and when you start doing comics, oh, you start working with comics that have crowdwork skills like Kyle Legacy, for instance, you start to see it enough to know there is no kind of winging it in it. He, what he does is uh, with, with crowdwork principles, mostly is about being very present. And that's a, a constant skill to go, to gain. Yeah. But you're still working on boundaries. Like you elicit responses and you kind of know a collection. If you memorized 500 or so responses, you're going to get or nail 75% of your crowd work. Yeah, right? it's true, yeah. You, if you memorize 1,000 um, responses, you get 95%. And so you basically, uh, it's a memory game yeah. and you accrue it over time weird things that happen, responses that go on. And that's what improv is. It appears to be improvised, but there is practice and focus around cohesion and how you do things. It's your relationship with the audience, right, that you're really building. Yeah, that's the skill that over time it's an ordinance that is worth doing. Um, The question is then, like, how do you prepare for something like that? That I don't really know. I mean, all I can think of is like just do enough gigs and put yourself out there a bit. That's it. And and that's really it. But to do that, you still need to establish trust. So that means 80% of your material when you're on stage has to be structured and and defined for people to go, oh, I don't know who she is, but she's pretty funny, so I'm going to interact. Yeah, exactly. And so that's that's a a trust thing that we're building over time. And so I think Kyle Legacy is one of those unique examples. I like watching him a lot because it's just, it appears to be all crowd work. <laughs> and even the, when he does his um, his uh, solo shows, and it's quite clear that he's a crowd work comic. I just love it when there's some feedback that goes, oh, this guy I was doing was just talking to the audience. And I was like, <laughs> yes, <laughs> that's the product. <laughs> and so, um, yeah, I do, I do like that. Um, he has worked out a really good hybrid model mm. and um, it's fascinating to me when he hits me up and goes, hey, can, can I do like just a spot and I'm instead of yeah. MCing because he's always constantly given the MC spots. Because he's so good at crowd working. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. Yeah. So, um, I mean, going to that, like how are you uh, sort of building up the structure and the, the methodology to improve on crowd work then? So what, what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to leave space to have – parts of my jokes almost as a conversation okay so it's not so much it's like i want to hear a life story but it'll be like a one word a yes no answer and then like and then having avenues to then play on the other side of it but regardless i've still got punchlines to back it up okay so it's like i leave the space for it and there might be like i'll only let it go if if nothing's happening i'll only let it go for a few seconds and i'm like "Mm, okay not and because like obviously i'm still learning and i'm like i don't have the confidence to press harder so I'm like, okay, cool. And then I'm noticing, like, I'll just jump straight into the punchline, but I'm noticing that, like, my comfortability with that amount of seconds is getting better and, right. like, trusting my ability to lean into being spatially funny of, like, just a pause and a, a facial expression or something. Yep. Which all comes from, like, comedy acting and stuff as well. Or, like, yeah, yeah, sure. like improv. Like, I, I, used to, I used to do improv, but even 
because a lot of improv is terrible. They're terrible. But really, really good improv comes from like the relationship between the two people because they sure. know each other and that's why it looks good because okay. it's like they can read each other. But that's why it's funny if you're trying to do it with an audience. It's like it's a bunch of strangers and you've got like 10 minutes to figure out who they are so you can like, oh, I'm going to be improv and like in a relationship with you. <laughs> I, um, so I'm, I'm a consultant during the day. Like basically I deal with a lot of stakeholders um, and getting requirements and getting rapport with them as quick as possible. That's my job um, yeah. essentially to make sure that I can improve their business by getting the relationship in as quick as possible. What I found is when the moment – that really hit me that I can do a lot better crowd work. So I used to be so straight up, like this bit, this bit, this bit, go. That's yeah, all I right. ever did. Yeah. Um, but I got to a point where, and I, I think this works about 80% of the time. I'm not, I'm still not learning it, but I found because I'm in, in dealing with so many different characters, I start to implement and treat them in the same way. And almost instantly they think that we've known each other. Like the crowd yeah, person. Yeah. Um, like there'll be a, a lady in the front. I'm like, oh, I guess she reminds me of so-and-so that I worked in. I just treat her in the same way. I almost act like we already know each other. Yeah. Um, and that seems to be like psychologically, they're just roped in on it. And it seems to work really well. Like that's kind of been my tactic. I've just implemented my consulting <laughs> goals or what I do with my, with my day job into comedy and crowd work. That sort of Hell seems yeah. to work quite well. Um, yeah. everybody's got a different riff to it, but that it means then it's like, I, it's something I already know. Yeah. I think you have to yeah. work with what you already know, which is what you're doing. Anyway, you have the theater background and you have all the frameworks there implemented. And that's what makes your style so unique to, yeah. compared to everybody else anyway. Um, so yeah, I like that because you're just using what you already do. Of course. Well, going, yeah, this is it. And then, and then, I mean, like that comes, like you said, like it makes it your your act unique. Mm. But your act is just the element of you that is real that's on stage, which is also an expectation of comedy. Like there's an element of complete realness of you. Yes. Yeah, and yeah. and like similarly to you, because it's like because I worked in events management for so long, it also meant that I worked with a lot of people both in a professional sense, but also like the punter sense. Like okay. I've seen a lot of just people because i had to run their events i had to kick them out or, you know like you know, for yeah, me, you know it was yeah, like sure. those layers so it's yeah. just like then i'm like i'm kind of aware of like the archetype of person who's in the room okay yeah which is funny because then i don't know if you found this too i like i've sort of i've talked about this before on the podcast where i'm like i've had to over the years i've had to try and teach myself to be less professional because obviously comedy relies, like, you know, it's like something that was used to talk about society and it was a way to, like, air the the annoyance that pretty much everyone feels like, you know. It, it's like yeah. it was this kind of, <clears throat> it was kind of this, like, last way to sort of stick it to the man almost, mm -hmm. right? And so then what I found was, like, because back in the day I used to be funny and I would, like, I was always writing stuff to perform that was funny, okay. like like comedy acting and stuff, not stand-up, but I was just mm -hmm. doing stuff. And then I found that I just – I'd have thoughts and they were funny, but then by the time I could go, that's okay, you can let it out of your mouth now, the moment had gone. So it was like there was this huge sensor. And I was like, who's this sensor? And then yeah. I realised it was at work, like, because of my work, people facing 100% of the time where it's my job, especially when I'm running something, I'm managing it, you don't have – you can't have an emotion – Mm. you're like the building you are the company you are the thing you don't get to say anything even though i'd be like hey, da, da, da. but i'm like okay i could lose my job like <laughs> yeah i um i've taken i've taken a, uh, a much more um realistic approach to that because mm -hmm. i found that if i 
put a political hat on in comedy, um, I, I have a very, very clear guideline. The code is that authenticity will bring anything to life, right? Yeah. Um, and so I don't want to be like that. I'm very much like I'm straight to the point with a lot of things. And I'm, I guess um, this is a difference, I think, as well, Like, because uh, I've worked with um, a lot of managers who don't want to – they confuse being direct with being rude. Oh, yeah. And that's uh, a big kind of difference. In that also happens in comedy as well, though, huge, hey. Right? Yeah. yeah, so there's yeah. definitely a thing between those two kind of edges in terms of from a managerial perspective. I'm really direct – um, but I, I can be very rude, like I'm, because I'm dealing with volume. But I'm also learning now that if I'm very organized, and if grassroots and things are very organized, that mitigates a lot of the risk of being emotionally charged and yeah. anything. Because when something happens, there's protocols, procedures, there's resources, there's tools, all of which have been ramped up or scaled to the right proportion to deal with any issue. And that tends to be like the thing that keeps the sense of order, takes away the um, the need to be political. That makes sense. Yeah, yep. it's good that you know that about yourself. That's really good. Yeah, but I mean, I don't like being rude. No, it's a horrible thing. <laughs> no, I don't. And and so that's kind of where I'm like, I'm seeing a real ugly side of like, you know that I don't particularly like to do. So I, I do a lot to kind of get rid of that, just flush it out because it doesn't help in creativity. No. Um, I do like being emotionally charged when I write or when I kind of come up with ideas. Oh, yeah, you've got to channel it because you, right. you can't get rid of it. You've got to learn how to understand it and its place. Yes, yeah. yeah. Um, but then also being cynical to yourself because you need to see yourself objectively in order Hell to yeah. be funny. Right? Hell yeah. Um, because that's the thing that – that's comedy, really. It's just your ability to look at everything in terms of... Because uh, the funny things is always on how well you know something or how what little you know of it, right? If you look at any any joke, it's like when... Um, like, if okay, let's look at the topic of, um, like, LGBTQ stuff, right? Mm -hmm. um, if you're a lesbian, your jokes on lesbian stuff is funny because you know everything about it. Yeah. But it's what's also funny is, like, you see a oh, straight white guy do a take um, where he acknowledges he knows nothing about it. Yeah. And that's what makes it so funny. It's when he when he gets on there and acts like he knows something about it, it's not funny. And so definitely com very comedy good. is very much those two broad spectrums and the extreme of each one. Yep. Um, which I, I like that. Yeah. And, and I find yeah. that, like, if you look at all material, it seems to be in that same breadth or um, that same sort of, like, wavelength. You're like, oh, okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah that's true. That's really true. Yeah. How well you know something or what little you know of it. Which is then, that's also just fun to talk about. Right, You know what exactly. I mean? Like, that's how conversations happen as well. Like, you know, if you're just with your friends, like, what do you mean? What, you know, and you're asking them questions. You ask them silly questions because you're, like, you're yes. trying to poke holes in their idea and their new venture or whatever they're doing. Like, you idiot, what are you doing? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> Prove yeah. it to me. <laughs> um, I mean, it's also one of those things that I've had to, because of the personality that I had, I'm also kind of mindful that I will never – be able to just bite my lip mm. in the traditional sense. Mm -hmm. So I've worked out just ways to to do it and do it in a way that like it acknowledges truth. It gets the right people like looking at it in the right way and the people that don't have a clue that I'm kind of critical to know nothing about it. 
and because that was the only way I can do things. I mean, I've worked in like political settings overseas and having to kind of be around ministers and, and things <laughs> and like going, oh, okay, how do I, how do I support uh, um, and a diplomatic approach to something, mm. but yet still be me. Um, and that's always been like my goal is that whenever I do things, it's like they actually know who I am and they're not feeling like they're just dealing with a political entity. Um, and so that's always because especially having to do comedy um, on the side and also deal with um, political stakeholders and other sort of work like that, um, they are always going to Google you and find out about mm. stuff. Yet I've never been cancelled on stuff because of what I do on either end. People go, oh, that's kind of like fun. Mm. And they find out more and then you become much more authentic as it. Like yeah, that's true. So I think I really try not to subscribe to political face stuff because what that does is say that you don't have any depth and you want to show how much depth you have as a person. Definitely. Everyone around you yeah. because you're more than – everybody's a very, very complex person, right? There's course, so much yeah. in there. Yeah. You don't want to hide that. But you don't want to be, um, and for that, even the ugly stuff, you can find a way to kind of bring it out. Definitely. Well, I mean, it's it's that same thing again that I said before. Where you got to find a place for it because obviously there is a time and a setting. Because it's like I definitely believe in not hiding who you are, but you should also it's not compromise, but you should also have awareness and empathy for the people of which you're speaking to. You know Huge. what I mean? And yeah, and yeah. like, sure, so it's of like, course. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and it's, so it's like. Like I, pra I learned how to practice this over a long time after, you know, studying yoga and doing a lot of spiritual studies and like personal development and stuff like that, just to figure out like, you know, like, well, I can't, the hiding who I am doesn't really work because then that becomes toxic in me, mm -hmm. but I can't release it in a frustration because that becomes toxic to them. So what's like, what what's the right. middle filtration system? Okay. And it's just time, you know what I mean? So it's like if like genuinely if I feel angry about something if someone is if someone does something and I perceive it as they've done it to me yep. I will never act upon that I'll be like have they done it to me am I reacting you know just just off the cuff and I'll, I'll literally if I if I like just say you did something and you pissed me off royally I'd be like I probably pause and I'll stare at you and I'll feel like daggers because it's like nice. I have like intense eyes and I can't help that. Why are you but doing like, this right now? <laughs> <laughs> but I was like, I would, I would be like, I'd be like, okay, I can't deal with you right now. You need to give me time, and then I'll go away, and then I'll, I'll think about it, and I might still be like angry about it, but then I'll be able to verbalize my anger and why. Okay. And then I'll take ownership of my my part in it because it's like a lot of the time when you're angry, there's there's something that you could have done better. There's a lesson you can take away from it. You know yep. what I mean? Even if someone's done like something really horrible to you. I'll kind of like, okay, cool. But maybe my boundaries weren't in place enough and I didn't communicate that, you know? And so it's like, it's very small, but I'm like, okay, well, that's something I can do better genuinely. And I might say to that person, you did like, when you did this and this and this, this caused this to happen in me. And yeah, maybe I should have been better for you, but I had, I would have hoped that you cared more about me to have seen that. You know what I mean? It's that like, it's that meeting of empathy. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yes. I, yeah. I mean, I'm very, very thoughtful. Uh, and I like that because you're you're basically taking away this idea that you're being attacked. Um, yeah. And it's a very natural response um, for someone to feel like there's always some, the rejection or uh, uh, some sort of thing that sort of make, it, it's based on insulting you or 
um, diminishing you, but then you find out it's inconsequential to anything that's going on. Yeah. And I mean, that's maturity as well, but like, it's very interesting that even as adults, we don't have this. We completely lack it in a lot of ways. Um, <clears throat> the whole thing of pausing before you respond is, it's a really good thing, hey, the way it can work. I I struggle with that a fair bit with, um, because what I, I've found is that I get to a point where I template everybody and I start putting everybody in categories in my mind. I don't actively do this. You make your like, lists. No. <laughs> oh, I've got lists, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but really, it's um, the, the difficulty is in constantly being reminding myself, like, everybody's got struggles. Everybody's got issues. Yeah. Um, and it doesn't necessarily mean that they're lashing out at you. There's something going on in the other ways. And kind of keeping your own ring fence is very important in this business, I think. Boundaries. Boundaries, <laughs> Boundaries man. It doesn't matter it doesn't matter what you're doing in life. Just even when you go into a family event, oh you gotta God. have boundaries and like it's just you know, like that's that's just something that everyone should learn. And it's not like from a selfish perspective either. It's just like when you're real tired. You know, you just mm. say you go, you do a thing and then you're you're emotionally exhausted from the friend who's always got a billion things wrong and never listens to anything that's going yeah. on in your life, right? You got that friend. And you're just tired. But then that means that your real friend who is going to be there for you that night, you're too tired to go and see them. You know, and it's just like it's that same thing of you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of talk nowadays about self care. Mm. And self care is hugely important, but there's, there's a line where self-care turns into being selfish. So you're going to like be aware of that line because like yeah. self-care is just enough. Like you're going to, you're going to make sure it's that like, you know, put your, put your own, what's it? The oxygen mask onto yourself first so you can help others like that. And that's yep. like, that's a literal thing. And most of the time, like, you know, when, when people are wanting to spend time with you, it's like every, like, like we said ever earlier, everyone is complex. Everyone's got something going on and there's still a line within that because you get to give people time and give people space. Cause it can be like that fraction of a moment can change someone's day for better or worse. Yeah. And I'm so aware of that all the time. If I'm like, if I'm in just my own tizzle and I'm furious about something that's going on, I'm having a bad day. As soon as like I make contact with someone, I just, I put on whatever's going in my head. I, I do my absolute best to just put it on pause. And I'm yep. just like, okay, hang on. <clears throat> like, are you cool? Yeah. Like I know I can handle me, but are you handling you? Okay. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and then, cool. and then I'll be like, okay, cool. Because sometimes, you know, if you just say hello, you give them a smile, like that, that's enough. And then through developing, like making sure you have the strong boundaries and developing the awareness of presence with people, you can see what that mm. intention really is. Because most of the time, like I believe that most of the time people's intention is good. It's just that it's getting miscommunicated. You know what I mean? Yeah. Okay. And I mean, that's, I would agree with that. Yeah, sure. yeah, exactly. And then, you know, obviously people's backgrounds and the way they've been raised, like the way that they perceive the world and they, the way they interact with people is so different, mm. which is really interesting. It's really interesting. And then also if you are interesting and you are a confident person, you're doing something you love doing, everyone aspires to do that. We're all trying to do the same thing. We're all trying to be relevant. Sure, We're trying yeah. to be seen. We're trying to be loved. And so if someone sees that happening, they're like, hmm, how can I learn? That's what they're trying to do. They're trying to learn from you. It's just that yeah. people do it in strange ways sometimes. So one thing that I've um, sort of picked up along the way, because I mean, I've had to literally deal with like prime ministers and presidents and stuff in like developing countries and like have meetings with them or um, like literally billionaire mining people. Where yeah, I'm yeah. having conversations with them. You've got and layers of culture going on in there as well then. Yes, yeah, but yeah. what I've found is that if I am in a setting with them and I have a 
sense of or a bit of time with them. I try to be as specific as possible in my engagement with them. So you don't go up to um, Nicolas Cage, who's my god, by the way. Is he? So, oh god, yeah. Oh, oh dude, I. I I, can't, I will never meet him because I can't. <laughs> Your fangirl is fake. Oh. <laughs> no, I, it, would be, it would be too – I have too many things to ask him. It would be just okay. too much. Dude, that guy is like my – he. I am obsessed with him. Anyway, um, I, <laughs> I digress. Um, but the point is like I would – if I'm with him or I'm around him, I would just go, okay, what is a distinct thing that I could pick their brain on and a specific topic mm. and not, hey – go up to a billionaire and go, how do I, um, how, what's it like being rich and how do I be around you and stuff? Like you don't, you're, or you just like, you don't, don't small talk either. It's like, hey, how the good's the weather? Mm-hmm. Like uh, I, I went to, um, I had a meeting with a, um, this, I'm not going to say who, but this person's a very, very wealthy person in Australia. Okay. Extremely wealthy, one of the, um, and so that, I suppose that narrows it down to like 10 people, but um <laughs> I spoke, Going through your socials right now. I spoke okay. to him, and that's still ten people. Um, <laughs> <laughs> hey. um, and I, I literally came up with uh, one question: was like, okay, what? Because um, I, I had like five minutes, and I was like, how, I said, how did how did you, how do you become this rich, like this stupidly rich? And what would be like, you know, what what are the exact steps? I just went all in. And I was like, can you tell me exact steps on how to do this, right? <laughs> oh, God. And, and I just did it in a way that I just said, if I was to just write it in a small card that I could tell people what to do. <laughs> Sending a postcard to my nap. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, what would be, what would be the key um, points, right? And he just went, no one's ever, he, he just said, he's like, no one's ever asked me that, like ever. So I was, so I was like, All right, I'll tell you. And he just went and told me. Like he told me exactly hey. what you have to do. And yeah. When you look at it, it's not like, um, so I can't even remember like the full details of it, but I did write it down. It's in my notes somewhere, but essentially, because you obviously want to know. Totally. I'm like, open your phone. (laughs) (laughs) The main thing is uh, that when you, um, if you work um, to the amount that you work, that taxable income, you have to try the challenges to save as much as possible um, of it, but concurrent to all of doing that, is to continue to build as many relationships with different people as possible. So meeting and knowing as many people as possible Mm -hmm. um, so that you keep connected. And and if you have a good system of engagement and re-engagement with people, regardless of who they are, like it's just a perspective about like, because everybody in in life is all connected anyway. So just having a constant kind of So there's a small world saying, yeah. But obviously maintaining boundaries today, you can't be everyone's friend, but you can be everybody's contact. Yeah, you're an acquaintance, you're a colleague, you know. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, And so that is going back to the boundaries thing. But during that time, um, if you have those two things in in concurrency and you have saved enough, you basically have to spend um, a lot of time and effort in identifying investment opportunities from the contacts that you make. Oh, right? like investing in their projects sort yes. of thing? Oh, okay. Because you have to look at if you have fuck all money, right? Mm. And like in terms of when I say Hello. that. No, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. like we are broke, so we have to go for high risk, high return. Yes. We don't have the ability to buy blue chips, right? So yep. we have to go for those projects where we go, we can see the trajectory of it well earlier before the traditional investor jumps into it, which mm-hmm. is kind of like 
the the model of doing things at the earliest point. Yep. So you have to go in on these kind of sub-investments and these little projects um, and identify those things where they work because numerically speaking, most of them won't work um, unless you know how to mitigate the risks to get it working. So that means knowledge of industry, consulting with people and getting those things in. So you get a couple of good investments going from them and um, you won't get any dividend from it. Um, the key is not to. So the reason being is that your goal is to never pay tax, right? Mm -hmm. um, and or to reduce your tax anyway. So your income is taxable, fine. Yeah. <clears throat> but by having dividend, um, it makes it taxable, right? So you have to find ways to gain equity because with equity you borrow money from the bank because the bank will give you money for whatever you do because you have collateral mm. a liquidable equity is worth more than a um uh, a thing that has been um kind of changed converted into cash mm. um or re income realized income most of the world and most of wealth is unrealized income like mark zuckerberg doesn't have 50 billion dollars in the bank he's got a 50 50 billion dollar worth property portfolio mm. which means he can go to the bank and go hey can i borrow a billion dollars and the bank will go yes because you've got a 50 billion dollar equity that we can tap into and that's what rich people are doing they basically get this money they borrow it and then they can go and trade and build new businesses with it they're not paying tax on that because the interest rate and it's a loan so it's the moment you start making money on those things is when it's actually a fault line because that's when you know it's taxable. So the key is just to keep on building a thing that's worth a lot but hasn't actually been realized as income. Whoa. That's literally how they're all doing it. And that's, that's why when you see, uh, and this goes back down even to the microcosms. Um, so you take a, a prop, you, you ever go down to like a certain property area and you're like, why are all of these investments not like open? Why where's there so many vacant plots in this one city area? Mm, yeah. But it's the most expensive per square meter acreage in the area, right? You're like, yes. oh, shit, why is this so expensive? And that's because you think in our minds, we go, why can't these idiots just, just do you go, oh, this is me. It's like, why the hell aren't they just putting half the price on the rent, right? Yeah. Just going, okay, just do it for a lot cheaper. Yeah. The, the rent and then the people start to occupy it. Yeah. That is not the goal. The goal is oh. to keep the property, because uh, your, your property value is worth based on the rental market amount that it is. So it's better for their portfolio that this place is $1,000 a week than $500 a week because the net worth of that property is more. Yeah. Damn. And that's literally how wealth is accrued, but it's not liquidated or realized. Anyway, that was the five minutes that I got from that rich person. That's amazing. I have two questions relating to that. Firstly, this is a serious question. How the hell do you know what he's worth investing in? Like, there are so many dodgy, crappy companies. Did this man say you go to this website and it will tell you ones that are worth it? It's a it? damn good question. And that is literally um, the economic question of everyone on the table. Yeah. Because everyone has that problem. And that's what differentiates. Otherwise, everybody's wealthy. Because yeah. like we literally can't answer that question. It always comes down to your education of a situation. Mm. Because if you can mass educate people around, oh, this company and this process is actually um, occupying this price point and it's not a reasonable price point, that the customer goes, no, I don't really want to 
do that and the competing business um, d- decides not to follow suit, then they take away the customer base from that other company doing that, right? Yep. And that's because that would come down to mass education. So mm, Definitely. And that's your investment. That's your money as a cons- uh, consumer into buying that thing. So you would use that same logic in terms of a business investment as well because mm. you'd want to know the full chain. And so you have to kind of – you your best – businesses um, for investment I've found anyway um, is the good transparency of the community surrounding it um, not like in terms of community sorry the stakeholders in that business and the transparency of it who's on the board who's doing this what their expertise are and identifying the they have mitigation of risk mm. can they respond to all of the risk points if yeah. you said to them well, if the infrastructure on this thing here doesn't go well, how do you would you go to that? And if they cannot answer those things, then you know that it's not a good investment. So it's really just transparency mm. um, who you put your money into that makes a big difference in what you're going to get out of it. I think anyway. Yeah, I, I tried to educate myself on these things a lot when I like yeah, a, a few years ago. Like I saved up as much as I could, and I had this like little pool of money, and I was like, I got to be smart with this. What do I do with it? Mm. And I was trying, I started to try and understand the stock market and I was trying to understand shares. But then like, I've also got like a moral code and I was like, okay. I can't buy into things that are going to perpetuate things I don't believe in. Sure. And like, I'm just, I'm real strong on all, all my, mo- my moral compass is so strong that I cannot move past that. So I was like, well, what else can I do? And I started looking into all these other things and it was actually my auntie who said this to me. And she's just like, cause I started looking into small businesses. I was like, well, can I just okay, give them some money? Can I... You know, like the things that I do believe in and I want these things to progress further. What can I do to help but also be smart about it and look after myself in the interim, you know? Mm. And um, I was like, ah, I mean, over my head, I don't understand any of this. Like good intentions, don't get it. I went to like the, I went to like an ethical investment company and I didn't have enough money for them to even talk to me. I was like, but I've, this is heaps of money to me at the time, yeah. right? And then I was talking to my auntie and she said to me, she's like, well, she's like the best thing that you can invest in is yourself. And it was like, and and it's so obvious, but at that time I hadn't thought about it in that grand scale. And it was in that moment I was talking to her and I was doing a few other things because I wasn't, I wasn't engaged with what I was doing in my life. And I was like, all right, well, I got this thing. There were these, I've always wanted to get back into creativity. At the time I was working in health, I'd left creativity. And I was like, I need, I want to get back. These are the steps that I know that I can do it. The on the other end of it, I'm the one who has to make sure that there's an investment return. So it's all me, mm. and I'm very diligent, and I'm, I've got like a lot of willpower, and I'm you know like you know like I'm very I'm very disciplined. Yep. And so that like that's how I ended up investing all the money. I mean, I spent all my life savings moving to England to then go back to acting and go and do all these things. Like I okay. spent literally every bit of money that I had to go and do it. I was like, and if it doesn't work, yeah. Yep. Great. <laughs> Everything will be fine, and. It's funny because it's like that's been the thing that now every time if I'm like, if I'm tired, if I'm worn out, if I'm fed up, if I've got like, you know, just moments when things are just going wrong, you're like, yeah, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to chuck it in the bin. The moment I think back to that moment where I made that promise to myself, it was like, if you imagine giving your entire money to like some, you have a business and someone that you care about or someone who's new and it's like literally their last penny and they're like, please do something with this. It was like that version of myself. I was like, I can't screw her over. (laughs) Like she believed in me so much. Yeah. There's a thing called your mother's money. Oh. Yeah. And that's a kind of a gamified way of looking at everything. Yeah. So um, we tend to be very dystopian to ourselves. I would never screw over my mum's money. 
Hell no. <laughs> so I yeah. always think, oh, my mum's money, like, what would be on that? And, when I, and, and also you have to look at the people that are in that where you're putting your money in. Like yeah. the, the people thing is so huge. Um, like my whole thing, grassroots is not a big thing, right? But I, in my head, and I operate exactly like that, that I'm a CEO of a billion-dollar company. In my Hell head, yeah. Yeah. I operate exactly like that, and I treat it like an enterprise, and everybody else has operated in the same way. But not low-key, like being self-aware that it's not, but also understanding that there's an operation and governance and a process yeah. that fit that foundation. We should do the same thing in our own uh, decision-making and decision modeling for our own selves. So we go, all right, I'm the CEO of Hannah Sainty. What is the brand? What is the, um, what is the purpose? What are the goals? And what are the investment components? What's the R&D component? What's the HR component? Like all of it is just a business. That's what it is, yeah. But you have to also find a thing about, again, because authenticity is the thing that is life. Mm-hmm. How do you not lose yourself to the administration of yourself, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's a really big kind of balance that we have to keep pushing towards because you don't ever want to be this shell of a person. No. No, Definitely but you want to have goals and you want to treat your your things that you learn, like yearn for with pride. And I think you can always invest in your own passion. Like you just that's like the number one driver I think that's the number one driver of successful business anyway is passion. Yeah. Um, because the guys who deal in finance, who they might be making a lot of money in it, which is a great goal, but there's no passion. Mm, it's a hollow goal. It's, it's not even like, because I don't like to say hollow because everybody wants money. We all want to have heaps of money. Um, but when you are, I've seen this where people are that rich yet they are so dead inside and they wish that they never did this. And that's what that's I mean by it's the craziest hollow. thing ever to me as a poor person, like growing up poor, yeah, thinking like that's outrageous, but then you have to, you have to see it like for what it is. Like the, some of the most unhappiest people are so wealthy. Definitely. But, th- but that's, what I, that's what I mean by it's hollow. Yeah. It's because, because money is not a goal. Money is a tool to get something. Yes. So what is it you're trying to get? Because yeah. that's the goal. And if the if the goal is a material thing, that's one step of a goal, but that's only one part of it because whatever the thing is, is actually alluding to a lifestyle. Yeah. So it's like, what is the lifestyle you're The chasing? lifestyle, the affordability of the lifestyle. That exactly. You know is huge. Yeah, yeah, and like, sure. And like, I think that, um, I don't know, like it depends on the way that you, you do your goal setting and the way that, you know, like you said, losing yourself in, in the administration of it. This goes back again to um, having self-awareness or it's like, it's your intention. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, I've, I've always been a why person. You know, when like there's a little kid, it was like, why though? Why? Yep. Why? I still do that as an adult. I'm like, why? At myself. I'm like, okay. but why are you doing that? Why? Why is it, Why are you upset about that? You know, like just, you know, the things I'm constantly asking why. Mm. And so if, if I feel uncomfortable in the thing that I'm pursuing, I will go back and I will stop and I go, well, why am I doing it? <clears throat> yep. And then if I'm uncomfortable and I figure out the reason, if the why is I don't want to do this, I'll change it. Yep. Sure. And like, I like before, before I moved overseas when it, before I was like I was going to invest money in myself I was so unhappy I was so unhappy I was studying massage I finished my exams I'm like I'm starting to do the whole thing I'm a masseuse this is great right I was so unhappy and then I was like, talking to my friend and I was like I don't want to do this this was this was the goal yeah, okay. and I got it 
and I don't want it, but that's okay. But I asked why I was unhappy to then change it and do the next thing. You know what I mean? Yep. So I didn't lose myself in the in the goal. I got to do the thing, got to do the thing, got to do the thing. It's like I touched it and I was like, ah, yeah, it's kind of squashy. I'm not into and, it. And you're not a person who goes out, gets something and then just throws it away and does another thing and throws it away and does another thing. Like you're not, you don't come across as that anyway. Um, you, it's more like I see it as like so, a bowling ball and I'm just kind of hitting the edges. Yeah, and yeah. so I mean that in particular, just to kind of reinforce that, it's not like just a flaky kind of decision to just move around and bounce around. It's very purposeful, very tactical in the way you operate, right? Definitely. It, well, I mean, massage came off of the back of having taught yoga and then I worked in yeah. health and I'm like, I'm doing something in here. I don't want to be a nutrition. I like investigated all of the things. And I was so, like, there was a little piece of me that was like, I want to be a masseuse. And that was like from years ago. I was like, I'll test it out. And then I was good at it. And I was like, hey. It, this actually, because <laughs> from off the back of that, that just reminded me of the other bit of advice that I got about. Oh, yeah. Acquisition of wealth and like how that works. Because um, if you change the word wealth to success mm-hmm. and just operate it off that lens instead, it's kind of the same principle. So let's use success instead of wealth here. Cause, it's much better. Yeah, it's much better. I love money. I fucking would love more money. <laughs> but I also know that like I know what would be enough money. That makes sense. Oh, like, yeah. I, I only I work towards enough and then a surplus to then give. Yeah, yeah, okay. Because um, this uh, interesting thing is about being in one thing and then moving to another thing um, and how you kind of leverage it, right? Yeah. So as a – because you just said it, you were, you were a yogi. Mm-hmm. Then you went into massage. You've been in events, theatre, acting, comedy, right? Mm-hmm. It's always that you don't sway away – to um, something that's so far removed from what you're doing. It's just a slight step across to each thing. Because what that does is it adds leverage. Like you're not losing X amount from what you gained from that one thing. So Correct. as a, and so this is what happened to me when I was 15 years of being just a stand-up comic mm-hmm. and running it successfully. I, I could literally work full time on it if I wanted to, but I always loved my job and doing other things so yeah um but and, and it has been very lucrative for me for the 10 years of doing it like first five years not so much because that's a build-up but of then course yeah the last 10 years perfectly fine um so it's always been not a not a, a hobby it's actually always been a second job i did at night um, mm-hmm. for me. and it was good like traveled all the time did things it was fantastic honestly but the covid thing um coming in and the need to kind of readdress um, the environment of where I was operating in Perth, I needed to kind of step it up to a level of, my goal is to make Perth a world-class comedy hub. Like the way Joe Rogan made Austin um, into a place where people in Australia, or in, in um, America moved into and, and built up, I'm doing the same thing with Perth. That's what I'm like, that's one of my principal goals. I knew I've never run a single room or any of that sort of shit until I opened up grassroots and I started doing that 20 months ago. Mm -hmm. But because room running versus comedy, the experience in there and just hopping over, the hat swap isn't that hard. It's literally because it's no different to setting up your own fringe show and or your own festival show and putting that together and, and knowing the process. It's the same where if you decide to become a room runner in comedy, that would be second nature for you because you've already been surrounded by two things. And to be honest, you're much more credible 
as a room runner because you're a comedian. I don't. I I rarely ever trust uh, com- people who don't uh, who who don't perform and run rooms um, because I just think they're usually just front end shifty. Like there is something about it that's not quite right, um, and there's not really any knowledge of comedy itself. So they're never going to do it as well as I will. Like that's going to be an inevitable thing. Um, John at the Comedy Lounge used to be a comic. Like we used to travel, do bush gigs all the time. Um, And when he, because he's passionate about doing, not like he's got the history of being a stand-up. So he's got a level of knowledge um, that can sort of front load a lot of the complexities of just running a room with a lineup. Yeah, totally. Same way as like me. I just know these things kind of come second nature. Um, But there was a lot to learn outside of that because you're now having to build up a, group of people so that is really one of the core principles to success is actually not going too far away from what you already know and Mm. building off that so usually a ratio um when i want to go and work in a new place in my full-time job like if i go and hop around um, this is before i've just become my own thing i always went to look at jobs where i only knew 60 percent of it so that i gained 40 percent. that's that was my threshold if I have no less than that, I won't do as good. If I know too much of it, I'll be as bored as possible because it won't yeah. learn anything. So 60% was my medium. And so when I hop around to even clients now and I'm doing work, it's always like what if I know 60% of it, I can master the other 40% very easily. So yeah. You, yeah. you can apply that same methodology to jumping on different industries or pursuits. So I think what is a good investment, Hannah? is the knowledge and knowing 60% of what that is you're going to put your money in, I think. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And then even like if it's not like a, you're thinking about like a monetary investment coming back off of it, it's trusting your interests. Yes. Because it's like you're not interested in things for no reason. It's yeah. like at the time like I was so frustrated because it's like I had a lot of people around me that were like, just pick one thing. And I was like, ah, that upsets me. I hate picking one thing. I can't actually <laughs> function off of one thing. Yeah. I get bored, disinterested, and I do that one thing badly. Yeah, sure. <laughs> and so I like, you know, I kept moving around. I kept, I was like, just try and figure out how to do the one thing. And so I kept trying to settle down and do like each one piece and each one piece went wrong for whatever reason, because it needed to, to push me, you know, off of the rail and back onto the trajectory mm. to what I'm doing. But it's like, trusting it to to follow it although I did it kicking and screaming at some points I now it's like when I when I look back to it especially where I am right now it's like this is like the year where it's like everything is kind of like it's like Tetris it's like just everything's slotting in I'm clearing away everything that kind of happened I'm like all right this is this is solid now because it's like for what I want to do right now like you know I, I was talking to you before about the show that I'm writing and it's like yes I'm really new to comedy but I've got I've got stage knowledge. I know how to tell stories. I know how to act. I, and so I'm yep. just going to pull them all together. And I'm like, because I've got this thing that I have to do it now. It's not a, I, it's not like a, I'm frustrated because everyone else is doing it. I'm like, no, it, it needs to come out now. And I trust that, right? Good. But that means good. that like, I like I know, like I'm scared of it, that, but that's a good thing. So it's like, I, like I'm writing it and putting it together. But then every time I've sort of felt like I can't do this, it's like everything I kind of, I've gone to fall back on, like I can't do it. I'm like, hang on, you know how to run shows because you worked in theatre. You know how to run events because you worked yeah. in events. You understand how to <clears> run <throat> spaces because you ran, you ran the spaces. So logistics and timing, like you've done all of that. It's like, well, I don't know how to write the show. I don't know how to perform. I'm like, no, you saw, you told, you've gone and studied acting. You've done acting. You've done all of those things. And it's like, well, you've got that. Yeah. And then 
this is something that a lot of performers don't talk enough about, I don't think. Self-care, looking after yourself and all of that. It's like I have all that history in health and understanding myself and looking after myself so I can give to the people that ultimately all art is to heal, to inspire, to educate. Okay. So it's like yep. I understand people yep. because it's like I worked in it. So it's like every single moment that I've kind of only, and it's only this year really that I've gone, absolutely, this is it. It's like every time I've kind of gone a bit afraid of the idea and gone to step back, it's mm. like the whole past of all the interests that I thought, what have you done this for? You, you chose the wrong thing again. It's kind of gone, no, that was for this. So I'm yep. like, oh, okay, I get it. Do you know, do you remember a TV show called Art Attack? Oh my God, Art Attack was my favourite show in the whole world. <laughs> I want him on this podcast. And I'll tell you why, because that is actually what summed up what you just said. Yeah. Right? People, the key to your grand plan is your own vision and being around people that can help you, but also trust that you know what your grand plan is. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Because uh, you have to kind of swipe away all those ones that people just don't see it. Right. Art attack is perfect because that sums it up. For the longest period of time, you're going, what the fuck is this? And he's putting it together. And I'm just like, this is shit. <laughs> sorry, sorry if I'm swearing a lot, by the way. I don't no, that's know fine. You're right. Yeah. And I'm like, this is shit. And then that last 90% is when you start to see the thing emerge. And you're like, oh, this is good. <laughs> this guy knows. He's a genius. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I'm like, this dude is the shit, right? <laughs> and that is actually quite a lot of what life is um, and what you do and your, your plan of things, right? Yeah. It's funny when people kind of would mock failure um, or pass things where things didn't work. And they'll go, oh, yeah, I bet you were just doing that as a rouse, haha, <laughs> like kind of thing. But it's sort of this idea that you're somehow not – if you don't hold weight to the fails or the, the perceived failures, yeah. you won't be able to leverage it in any way. Hell yeah. And taking, like, I, I think, because um, right now I'm just sort of looking at my, my health and trying to lose weight. I'm documenting quite a lot of this stuff at the moment about how I can, I'm trying to get that all on film so I can do TikToks eventually. Heaven forbid I actually lose the weight and I actually get back to my proper... Architectural structure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, You're like, that you just can't me. do it until you I start climbed the TikTok. mountains in the Himalayas, for Christ's sake. <laughs> <laughs> I need to get back to that again. Um, but yeah, just getting to that point um, of going, okay, if I document all of these things, um, I'm glad for the failure of gaining weight mm. because yeah. it's given me an abnormal level of perspective, or an unusual level of perspective about. Fat people. <laughs> like, I literally didn't know what it's like. I And having to experience it now, it's like playing Call of Duty on hard mode. Like, you're literally just having to hurl weight like you wouldn't mm. believe. And you don't mm. realize just how, how fatigued and how tired people get. Um, all of these things just add up continuously. And it kind of feeds itself. And it gets even worse over time. Because any attempt um, requires a bit of pain. And a threshold to pass, yeah, which then forces you to give up because you're like it's not worth it, and you know you, you almost have to do a day to day um, like scheme of things, um, and then have to work it all out, which is good because I've always been a pusher and a hard worker about everything else. I'm just going, no, I'm going to take care of myself now, Hell yeah, because I've got taken a backseat. Like there's all of these processes in place, and it's fine. Um, I think going back to all of these things that where you, you've talked about the experiences of 
activities and actions in life. I think the one key, the source of turning any of these events or any of these things into success is your ability to be organized. Oh, yeah. That is the biggest correlation behind how you've taken a failure or a component Mm. into a strength um, in all of your endeavors because the more organized you are, the more you can do. Absolutely, yeah. And um, the more organized you are, the more the less stress you will have around people around you. The reliability of time, the ability to stick to goals as well. Um, Definitely. And, and that's what I'm noticing now is because I run in the absolute red line with everything and then now it's all kind of organized. I've actually got a bit of space now to go, oh, okay, yeah, look at this. this that guy needs to lose weight. Like, And I'm starting to think about that and how am I going to work through it now. Um and it's giving me a lot more breathing space um, to go, oh, okay, to be organized, I actually have to prepare food. I have to kind of make sure I've got enough access to hydration, good water, like good quality food, do this, that, and, and actually work out that, okay, a lot of life is logistical and having to make sure that I can optimize for that in order to still do these other things. Mm-hmm. Um, and then delegating activities to people you trust. Yep. Sharing infrastructure is a huge one as well. Um, I like you and Jared do this stuff. You each have a podcast, but you have the same tools and infrastructure, right? Yeah, we do. Yeah, huge difference in the way someone who has to go and buy all their equipment, do it all, and still stash away and stuff. Like you have to find people close to you. They might have different goals, but it's not that far off the goals. Like yeah, same. They might be podcasters, or one person might be a filmer or whatever. Yeah, they just have to be able to align and piggyback off each other yeah. in a lot of ways. It's, a har- it's finding your, the harmonization between you and your peers. Exactly. Yeah. And I think that is like one of those big strengths of success when you're investing in yourself is the importance of working with others. Yeah, um, yeah. And stand-up didn't teach me that. <laughs> but room running has hugely. Um, it's made me really much more, much more compassionate about how – people are kicking off and doing things because when I started doing comedy, there were 20 to 30 open micers in Perth, max. Like yeah. there were 10 pro comics in Perth. Wow. Um, this now, was 15 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Now there are yeah over 400 and there's 409 in my registration, 54 in the last three months or whatever. It's crazy. Wild. Um, and uh, there's still 10 comics in both. <laughs> no, I mean, there's more than that. But yeah, I mean, basically, it's the everything that becomes popular becomes harder to do and, and get yeah. into. Right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and so I think about a lot of the comics from the 80s and the 90s in Australia, like you know, Chris Franklin's and like all those guys. You know, yeah. like Chris is a great, he's a good friend of mine and he's just a, he's just all heart really lovely guy totally but it's genuine he started at a time when it was excessive drinking and everybody was rock star mentality yeah everybody was loose that was your credibility exactly yeah and how things have changed so much more into this has this corporate direction almost as corporate governance to comedy yep in the way we operate nowadays um i've found that my i'll tell you this because I've taken, I could have done better in my comedy over the last 10 years. Um, that's one thing I look back and I go, oh, I could have actually 
been ahead of the curve um, 10 years ago if I really stuck to my guns. Mm. When you live in a small town like Perth, um, and it is really, it's still a small town. There's what, 2 million people here. Um, you, you get a lot of this small town mentality where you, if you try to innovate or you do something different, you get berated by your peers purely mm. because they don't understand it or they look at it as um, your point of differentiation is somehow seen as a weakness um, because that means you're not following their, quote, rules in comedy. I worked with a lot of these old guard comics who don't longer do comedy, but funnily enough, it still rings in my head because I just listen to their bullshit. And mm. I, lis I wish I didn't. I, I remember about 2012, I said to everybody, I'm like, I'm going to start up a podcast and I might put some things on YouTube and I might put some things on this, like, and, and just get things going on Facebook and stuff and develop content and get things up. And all of them were like, no, don't do that, man. You're going to lose your material. Oh, no, nah, don't. Podcasts are shit. Like, no one's going to listen. Like, listening to these people that I actually look up to yeah. was the biggest mistake I made because I knew back then what I needed to do. And now um, in this generation of comics, like the – this generation, not the old guy, because I kind of look at most of them and I'm just, I, I just see dead people, to be honest, because I'm like, nah, they're not going anywhere. <laughs> um, but I see the this generation and I'm so inspired by it because there is almost this yearning for being different, this yearning for competition. Um, they're all kind of helping each other. They're not trying to fuck each other over. They're not trying to stab each other in the back. Totally. And, and that sort of mindset is like, yeah, we got out of it. Like, I am really feeling at home now with people like this because they're all kind of pushing direction um i mean jared for instance when he came in 2020 i never met him before he we would just chat continuously about business about comedy and i'm like during covid and i'm like around this guy and i'm like hell yeah like i'm starting to feel the invigoration of someone that's actually constantly getting the work fast forward three years and the dude's a really good comic yeah. and has all of these things together on TikTok and everything's going on. Um, he's found the right partnerships. He's found the right people around him. And that is just a force. Like he's doing things without meeting too much uh, social resistance because he's just getting on with the tasks. Yeah. And it's hyper-organized. It's hyper-managed. The I think the the notional abilities to just take photos right after gigs, post those things that – it's kind of following a, a schedule of time to be able to, to travel and, and still do this and mobility, right? Mm. So I think that that's because uh, at a certain point you have to set up boundaries around people um, which then voids you of their commentary because it doesn't really impact you. You're still going to keep going with it. Um, and I think that is a very important thing in one's life is to go, all right, who has the same alignment and goals and I will then be closer to them yep. and who doesn't, but is still in my industry and I'm going to respect them and I'm not going to um, like, you know, be upset at the, the way they perceive things, but their opinion is irrelevant to the vision. And I think that's the part of the maturity curve is as you get older, you really don't give a fuck what people think. No, you don't. No, you don't. Yeah. I mean, I mean, an even easier way to like to put that into your thinking and actually like the actioning of that in your life is to just instead of thinking about putting boundaries around everybody else, it's like I see it as you you be like Dory in that whatever that thing is in Finding Nemo when she jumps onto the fast track of the the rip. 
you know? When swim lane. Swim lane, swim lane, that. Yeah. So you imagine you're just putting yourself in the swim lane. It doesn't matter what's going on on the outside, you know. Mm. You just, you just, you're just going forth. And like, because that's like, like Jared is the same, and I'm the same. It's just like if you, if your vision is strong enough, none of the rest of it matters anyway. Totally. Like it, it genuinely, like you just don't care. Absolutely. And then, and then, like it's not even about like you know being being impacted by what other people said. It's just like because you genuinely, there's a difference between like not wanting to care and then genuinely not caring. It's just like when people say, it, "You're like, oh, okay, okay, thank you." Yeah. And you just like you're just indifferent. You're like, ah, anyway. Yeah. We're just gonna I, I mean, move I think, on. Um, there is there's a way to treat um, dismissal and opinion, and that's definitely by going all right that's irrelevant to the the vision and just keep going and like that yeah. there's a thing there is also a position to deal with the, the outwardly nefarious people that will try to stop oh yeah you. different yeah yeah the grand thing is actually what I really learned from grassroots is how do i establish a community of like-minded people and perpetually help them because they've helped me yeah <laughs> we did mention this before that it's like if you're doing something and your stand up is obviously it's it, it's a solo escapade Mm-hmm. For the most part, but especially nowadays, it should be a bit more of a collaborative effort. Absolutely. If you tr- if you truly want to do something and move forward, like even if that's putting together, you know, a lineup show and just having like the showcase, that's all collaborative. Sure. If you are if you produce a service and you can collaborate with other people to produce the same service, and you do it as a bundle show, those people just they swim lane, they get they fast track it, they get on with it. They're better than the person sitting around waiting to get summoned to do a gig, right? They just, they don't have the same hustle or collaboration. You have to know that you live in a world, regardless of whatever economic framework it is, socialist or, or, um, like capitalist, it doesn't really matter. Mm. You you need people around you. I think creating, um, creating a good strong network where you all have mutual vision but you're also understanding that you need each other so we can all celebrate it at the end. And if the recognition gets given to someone else, who cares? Yeah. The vision's been realised. Definitely. Yeah, it's, it's like a, allowing allowing the vision to be bigger than the ego, basically. Yeah. If people decided to take more of a holistic view of the industry and get an acknowledgement of what it takes to get from start to end, they would be better off for it. We're all just a big team. We are a big team. That's it. Yeah. Learn it, do it, get on with it, be happy about it. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Good. Did you have fun? Yeah. I oh, like yeah. this. I could keep talking to you for ages. Yeah, I know. I'm like, I have so much to unpack. No, I really enjoyed this. this you're a good interview. I like it. Like, Thanks, it's man. great. It's good Thank to, because, yeah, like, you've, all of the stuff that you've been through, I'm like, oh, I'm relating to this. Like, it's good. Yeah, yeah. Nice. Thanks for getting weird with me. If you liked the episode, please subscribe and leave a review. And if you really liked the episode, consider signing up to the Patreon where you can help me help you. You'll get early access, uncut episodes, bonus episodes, and some other cheeky extras that you'll have to check out. You can find it at patreon.com forward slash Hannah Sainty. Now let's be more creative and less strung out. And remember that you're weird because being normal is really boring. Thank you.